Welcome to the PGA Premium Podcast presented by Daily Roto. I'm Christopher Pacheco and joining me to discuss my favorite major, uh, the Open Championship or the British Open as, as they know it here in the United States, uh, Drewby and Michael Leone. Guys, what is happening tonight? Not too much. Excited for another major. I did good at the Masters. I did not do so well at the U.S. Open. So looking to rebound here. I'm also looking forward to this week. It's definitely one of the best covered majors, I think, you know, from a TV perspective, especially with DirecTV. You get a ton of, ton of channels going. Uh, should be a lot of fun. And obviously a really strong field is a welcome change from the past couple of weeks. I also like that this week we're the premium Daily Road podcast. Pacheco, I like a nice little touch there. It makes me feel special being on. You should feel special. And you know what else makes me feel really special and, and one of the reasons why I love this major? Who won this major last season? Anyone? Our boy. Our boy, man, Henrik. Henrik, baby, who's... I refuse uh, to say it. I know, I know. I can tell this that is, you... That this is when I wasn't playing... <laughs> Yeah, it was awesome because I lost Mike, all my money on Henrik, Mike and then I came playing. back to New York, and I couldn't play DFS, and I had to watch all you bleep bleepers <laughs> in Slack chat, like, cheer on Henrik, and I'm just like, well, yeah, I, had to, I had to pull no, the button out. I had to pull the mute button out. It was great. I mean, last year, obviously, we got a huge weather angle, which uh, we, we were on, thankfully, and uh, it was it was actually one of my best weeks of the, all year, last year, and so hopefully something like that can, uh, hopefully we can do a little Drewby course history from a DFS perspective. Woo. Yeah, and this year, the, the Open Championship is held at Royal, Royal Bergdale uh, in England. Uh, it's a par 70, uh, playing well over 7,100 yards. Uh, this course was played, uh, the, the Open Championship was last played here in 2008. Uh, of course, the, the weather had something to do with it. Patrick Harrington uh, won the major, and he shot a three-over par. Um, Drewby, of course, we're going to be dealing with some semblance of, of a weather effect this week. But we're recording this podcast. It's, it's Monday night. I mean, Rosses aren't going to lock until Thursday morning. I mean, making decisions based off weather right now, I think, is probably not the way to do it. Is that is that something you guys would agree on? Yeah, I definitely think that's a fair statement. I think, at least as far as like a, the draw is concerned, and whether or not there's going to be a favorable edge to the tee times. Um, I did find that on windfinder.com, there's a, a good wind tower, Ainsdale Beach is the name of it. It's right by the course. And so that's what I'm going to be using. I think it's good because it shows, you know, the, the average wind temperatures, but it also shows gusts and gusts can be a big deal, especially, uh, a course like this for the, the open championship. And so, uh, Ainsdale Beach is going to be my go-to weather tower for the week. I mean, obviously, it's it's going to play. It's going to play. It's going to be a factor. Uh, it's just a matter of when do you look at it. Personally, I'll, I'll. I mean, I'll probably start checking it seriously on Wednesday when I'm kind of like finalizing my rosters on Wednesday night or, or whatnot. I'll probably all day throughout Wednesday. I'll, I'll be taking a look at weather. But for right now, I just I wanted to talk a little bit about the course. And before we even talked about the golfers, 
Um, the cut rule for the Open Championship is top 70 uh, and ties. And the course setup, I mean, this is a week where you, the, the fairways are so tight uh, that you want to place an emphasis on, on accuracy. Um, off the tee stats, shots gained, all, you know, all that good stuff. I, I think it's going to matter a lot this week, which is why guys like Matt Kuscher are, are going to be pivotal in, in terms of cash games this week. And as I mentioned, Kuscher, we might as well just talk about the the best values in our eyes uh, this week. And we can, we can start talking about the expensive guys over on DraftKings, which... Mike, I, I found it interesting that as I look at all the top guys like Rory, uh, Spieth, uh, Jason Day, who's like a 10K now, that's not even a high price tag for him, but all these studs heading into this, into this open championship outside of maybe Rom, who just destroyed his last event. He had 160 drafting points. All these guys really have some thorns. On their on their sides, uh, Mike. Is there one in particular that you're keying on this week, or are you going to have a little bit of all these guys and multi a mass multi entry? I'll have a little bit in all these guys and mass multi entry. It's a situation for me where the guys who are playing well that have good recent form, the ownership seems like it's going to go that way. Those are probably the better plays, so I want exposure to them because they're the better plays. But then I want to even it out by being overweight on. Some of the guys you mentioned, like DJ, uh, Rory, I think they will be sub-15%. Druby did some preliminary ownership projections, has those guys sub-15%. But I will note that Jordan Spieth is coming in playing really well. Uh, his T-degree game's on point. Same thing with Sergio Garcia, and he's a full $1,000 cheaper. I expect Garcia to be very, very chalky. I think he's going to be the highest owned of the 10K plus guys, but I think it probably makes the most sense when you factor in the core setup, the price tag, and recent form. So if you were going to make a spend here in cash, and I don't think you have to spend, make a spend above 10K in cash, but I think if you were going to, it would be with Sergio Garcia. Uh, as far as a game theory play in tournaments, I will be overweight on Jason Day and MME, but I don't think I can stomach pulling the trigger in my you know more expensive single entry or three max tournaments. But he's the cheapest of the studs, and or I guess if you count 10K plus the studs, you do get like Hideki, Stenson, Fowler, and sub 10K, which we'll get into. But uh, he's going to be very low owned. He's going to be the lowest owned guy above even like 9k and we know he's got legitimate upside but he has not played well really all season long even that stretch i know he finished second in a tournament and it looked like he was turning it around but i remember looking closer at the strokes gain data and you know it, it didn't look super sustainable it wasn't like he was great off the tee great on approach shots and i think approach shots in particular is an area where he's been struggling and this is a course where you obviously want to be performing very well in approach shots. Drewby Spieth has been playing well of late. Uh, Rom, as I mentioned, just destroyed his last event. It's not like all these studs uh, have been struggling of late. But DJ, uh, I mean, look, over the last couple of events, it doesn't seem like he brought his putter uh, in terms of the shots game put putting data. 
Uh, he was negative in, in, in his last couple of events. Uh, but in, in terms of the shots guaranteed to green, uh, he was certainly fine. Uh, around the green, he wasn't very great, though. Uh, Drewby, what are you doing with DJ in particular this week at 12K on DraftKings? Uh, and and what other stud do you like heading into this week? Yeah, I, with DJ, I, I think right now my inclination is not to play him. Um, and there's a couple of reasons. I, I think a, l- a lot of the stuff that I've been reading about the course and kind of some of the stuff that shows up in the data shows that the strokes gained off the tee isn't going to be a factor here. Uh, you have DJ saying that he thinks he's only going to hit four drivers. Had Rory on an interview today say he's not going to hit a driver until the 13th hole. And then Brooks Kepka basically said the same thing. And so these are guys that are always looking for the opportunity to hit driver whenever possible. And they're more or less taking it out of their bag compared to a normal tournament. And so to, to me, that, you know, ends up setting it up. If, if they play smart and are able to put the ball in good position off the tee, obviously they can do so with like a three wood or their irons. And that takes away one of their big advantages. So it doesn't mean that they can't compete because, you know, Rory, when he's on, still has elite approach game. But it does take away a big edge that they have over the field that kind of neutralizes that aspect. And so I think with that in mind, I think that Spieth is my favorite play at the top. Um, and I particularly like Spieth if it ends up playing tough because he's, his approach game has been one of his strengths all season. But he's also got elite putting skills. And when... Patrick Harrington won this event. He only hit about 50% of the greens in regulation. And that was a stat that when I was going back through, it really shocked me. And so if it plays close to that tough and we're having guys who are, you know, like hitting 70% of greens or leading the field in greens in regulation, then I think um, it's really going to be an interesting tournament from a DFS perspective. And I think that speaks my my top play. And I'm, I am a little bit intrigued with like day from a game theory perspective, particularly if he stays down in kind of a single digit ownership. Drewby, from a cash game perspective, though, Sergio at 10-6 over on DraftKings, say you were dipping down to someone below 11K but wanted a stud. Sergio has to be the one that stands out from a cash game perspective, right? Yeah, so I I think he does just kind of given the price and and security that he provides. But on the flip side, you know, if I'm going to be playing a, a stud in a cash game, like I still might look at someone like Spieth because I think in these hard scoring condition environments and you're really valuing the finish bonuses a lot. And I think you get a little bit more security from a finish bonus perspective with, with speed. Um, and so I definitely think that like, like Sergio and Rose, uh, you know, jumped out as kind of safe, good, solid plays here uh, at first glance. And so I think they're in cash consideration as well. Um, how about you Pacheco? Yeah, I would say, I would say speed uh, as my top target. Um, in terms of the studs, Sergio, I really like a 10-6. I would agree with you, uh, with DJ and Rory. Um, not guys that I'm particularly interested in, in this week, uh, but I'll have some in terms of, of mass multi-entry. And I don't usually mass multi, but, uh, in this particular case and in majors, I, I usually do. So I'll probably sprinkle a little bit. Uh, Jason Day, another guy I'll probably sprinkle, but not have a lot of, certainly not as much as, as Mike, uh, would have. Um, we can talk about the 9K guys on DraftKings. And, I mean, there's, man, I, I at least count three that have my attention right now. And one in particular, uh, Ricky Fowler, 
Mike, $9,200. Look, he's played really well all season. He's coming off three, uh, three straight events where he, he did a T5 at the U.S. Open, a T3 at the Quicken Loans National, and a T9 at the Scottish Open. I mean, good recent form. He's been good all season long. $9,200 doesn't feel like an appropriate price tag uh, relative to the guys uh, around them. Is is that a correct take, Mike? Yeah, definitely. And even looking at the sports book odds to win, he's 15 to 1, which is the third best odds to win the tournament. He's of course, not even close to the third highest priced golfer on the slate. There's not always a direct correlation there, but it's like a quick little dummy check. He's a cash game lock. The issue is in tournaments, he's going to be really high owned. Everybody's seen the same thing. It's not like we see anything crazy uh, on Fowler that other people aren't seeing. If you look at the first run of the Albatross projections, we have him as the fourth highest projected golfer the three golfers we have higher are all $1,800 or more expensive. So uh, he's a cash game building block. Absolutely. And uh, one of the reasons I said you might not have to spend up in the 10 K plus tier. I like Hideki a lot at 9,500. I know it's not going to be contrarian, but Hideki Fowler starts to me are really interesting. I think you get two guys that give you, as Ruby said, finish points matter, but something I like to do when finish points matter, I think sometimes we try and get those top-heavy top finish points, and we, we think about those, and we don't think about, well, finish points matter, you know, one through six in your lineup as well. And if you start with a fall or Hideki, you're getting a lot of top five, top ten equity with those guys while saving money to have a better chance at T20, T30 on some of the other guys, of course, the points you're gaining there, I know it's only a couple of points um, on the back end, but it can still add up. So I do believe that you can mesh a balance strategy with still trying to, in the back of your mind, have the fact that finish points are going to matter a lot, still placing emphasis on that. Drewby, is there a guy in better reason form than Tommy Fleetwood? Uh, U.S. Open, he finished fourth. Uh, BMW International, it was a T6. The Open in France, what, he finished first. He won the event. And in the Free Irish Open, he got a T10. I mean, he's been ridiculously hot. Uh, really accurate player. He is $9,800, so you, you are having to pay an appropriate price tag. And, I mean, if you consider his form for, you know, in terms of the, of the, of the, the season, you're, you're probably overspending here. But, man, the recent form here, Drewby, is very, very appealing. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, and you're you're definitely paying a premium to sort of his long-term uh, skills as a golfer. And the other piece that kind of fits into why he's priced this way, both in the odds markets and is the home course narrative, having grown up you know, right around the corner, and you're going to hear a bunch of stories kind of about that and how much support he has from friends and family in the audience. And so... It's a tough one for me. You know, I, I definitely am not going to be overweight Fleetwood just because a lot of my, my work, I am a big believer in, in some of the longer term um, stuff, but <laughs> it, it's hard to argue with the recent form. Uh, that said, you know, if, if we're talking like from ownership projections right now, I have him being pretty heavily owned almost at, you know, 19, 20% and Ricky Fowler at like 27%. And, and I, I'd rather 
pay Fowler uh, at play Fowler at 27% ownership than I would play Fleetwood at 20%, who's 600 bucks more expensive. And so it's interesting. Um, so I definitely like Hideki a lot as well. Uh, Fowler, I started building teams a bunch of different ways, and no matter how I built them, whether it was you know odds based, projection based, even trying to take the ownership into account, Fowler was still hitting sort of my teams, and so it's going to be hard for me to get away from him, uh, no matter in, in, unless his ownership gets like absurd, thirty five percent or so. Yeah, I mean, personally, I would say my biggest issue with Fleawood is, yeah, now I'm having to pay a premium uh, over on DraftKings. I mean, he's more expensive than Hideki and Ricky. I mean, I think that's that's pretty crazy uh, when, you're, when you're talking long-term skills. Now, you look over on FanDuel, Drewby, I like his price tag much more there. He's $8,100, and he's priced around guys like Alex Noren, Justin Thomas, Brooks Kepka. Uh, I mean, certainly good golfers, but that seems like a much better price tag than on DraftKings where he's 9800 right? Yeah, for sure. For sure, he's a better fit there. Plus, you're picking eight golfers, and so you're less worried about sort of the uniqueness of your roster than you might be if you're only picking six on DraftKings. And I definitely think uh, FanDuel is a good source of Fleetwood exposure. I'm curious kind of what the ownership discrepancy will be between the two sites there, but I think... Uh, that that's a good good thought, especially for your cash game exposure. He would fit it pretty easily over on FanDuel. Okay, so Adam Scott, eighty five hundred on DraftKings. He burned all. I won't say me because I certainly wasn't the only one playing him, but he burned me bad in the U.S. Open. Like I I must have played a lot of the three matches, and I think he was in all my lineups. Maybe a mistake for having so much ex- exposure to one <laughs> golfer. Uh, and stop laughing, Mike, please. But he is $8,500 this week on DraftKings. Um, man, once again, Mike, he seems like a tough pass from a cash game perspective. Yeah, I, I really like him. I mean, the reason you can pass on a cash game perspective is just that pricing so loose that it's not like the opportunity cost and not using him is super high, but still the way I like to build is generally more balanced and he fits in perfectly. I know he missed the cut at the U S open. If you look at the strokes gain stuff, he putted really poorly. Now I know Adam Scott's not a good putter, so you can't just wave it off completely, but even relative to his previous four or five tournaments, he was way worse. You know, he was still really good on approach shots. He's been positive strokes gain approach shots pretty much every turn. Tournament. I know when we were prepping for the U.S. Open, we noted how well he's done in some of these loaded fields and some of these big events pretty consistently. Uh, it sounds weird to bring that up on the heels of a miscut at the U.S. Open, but he still seems someone to me that fits the course well, that is just underpriced for his overall skill set, and I don't see a lot wrong here. So I'll have a ton of him and Paul Casey at 8,100 as well. Casey, if you look at his approach shots gained, uh, pretty phenomenal. He, he struggled in the travelers in that department, but the four tournaments before that, he was absolutely stellar. One guy I'm interested in getting your guys' take on is Mickelson at 8,700. Now, I know, Drew, we were saying off the tee, you're not going to get that edge you would normally get with some of the long drivers. Yeah. Uh, however, it's, it's a weird dilemma, though, right, where you might not get that edge, but you certainly 
could still get that risk in missing a ton of fairways, which Phil can do. So I'm interested in your thoughts on how that off the tee stuff not mattering as much affects Phil, because if you look at his approach shots, he's been dynamite there. Um, but if he's in so much trouble off the tee, he could put up some really big numbers. Yeah, he, he definitely can put up some big numbers. And I do think that's a good point, uh, especially as we get into some of the, the lower guys, right? It's, it's not that I'm like disregarding off the tee play. I'm just not using it sort of to toggle an advantage for someone who might normally have it to the extent that I normally would. Um, but I think it can still penalize you if I will, I will say like Phil, Feel like he's played enough golf right that he can play it strategically and know where to take risks and we're not to and there's probably a couple <laughs> doubles or triples looming for him but I'm interested in Phil uh, if it ends up being a course that rewards approach and scramble game and putting and I'm interested in him if he's 10% owned um, and so that makes Phil a target to me for tournaments and not somebody I would considering cash games. Uh, I agree that Scott seems like the safest play in this range for cash games. You don't necessarily have to have him because there are other spots that you can build, um, but he's definitely a safe play for cash games. And uh, this, this range, I also don't think you have to have him for tournaments just because there are other pivots that are sort of nearby. Um, and, and so, I mean, I think that I'll keep his ownership a little bit in check, but Scott's definitely on my radar and someone I'll have exposure to. I don't know if you guys are going to call me crazy for this, but Justin Thomas for me is on the, is almost on the fade territory. Um, and he, and here's why the data for him lately hasn't been great. Obviously long-term in terms of, of the season, he has been phenomenal. I think in terms of birdie average, he's number one. Uh, he ranks first this season on tour. So, I mean, he's, he's obviously played great. But again, if, if the distance and, and the accuracy in terms of the driver, in terms of the driving accuracy is something that you want to look at heavily this week, this is something Thomas has struggled on this season. And Druby, that's, that's something that has me, has me on the fade territory, uh, for Thomas. Is that something that concerns you as well? Yeah, it definitely concerns me, and he's not somebody that I'll play in cash games. Uh, feels like there are better options here. That said, as of now, I have a super low ownership projection on him, and he's somebody who usually outscores his finishing position from a DraftKings perspective. And so um, not somebody that is super appealing to me. Cash games, much rather play Paul Casey. Um, but if, if my ownership projection is remotely accurate right now and doesn't pick up steam throughout the week, then Thomas is someone who would be interesting in MME formats. Mike, let's, let's talk about the 7K range because in here we find, we find some goodness and, and we find some goodness in Matt Kuchar at $7,200, uh, $7,200 on DraftKings. That seems like the cash game play. Of, uh, in terms of DraftKings, this seems like, like the cash play, right? I mean, great links player, uh, great price tag, nice odds for, for this price range. Someone like, he's probably not going to be passed up from a cash game perspective. Yeah, I probably won't play a whole ton of cash because I've played more tournaments, but at first cash game lineup, 
Fowler Kucher seem to be the locks in there. And with Kucher, a lot of times we talk about how he's not a great DK score, and a few things, in my opinion, mitigate that. One, we're expecting this course to play difficult. So if it's not going to be a birdie fest that mitigates some of the DK scoring points that he gives back to the field, we're more concerned about finish points. And uh, he's somebody that can T10, T15. He's just a really solid overall player. Two, the price tag at 7,200 mitigates this a lot. And on this slate where there's not a whole ton of like real good plays below 6,800-ish, you know, there's some guys above 6,500, but when you start dipping below 6,500, it's not like you've got real appealing punts at 6K. At 7,200 on a loose pricing week, like he could be the, your, the cheapest golfer in your lineup. And you feel really comfortable if he's the sixth guy in your lineup. We mentioned accuracy as mattering and looking at the albatross shots gain stuff in driver spray he has the third lowest spray which indicates that he is very accurate off the tee i do want to note that the second lowest driving spray is your boy henrik stenson there pacheco who we didn't hit on too much we can come back to him at the end because he's not in this range but uh all said and done kuchar 7200 he's going to be chalky but i think it's merited Drewby, what are your thoughts on Kusher? If you want to give them, you probably agree with us. If you don't have any Kusher takes, you can also share a little bit on Ian Poulter, who seems to be getting a lot of steam um, from from other touts uh, this week at 7,500. Uh, I'm looking at your uh, ownership projections right now, Drewby, which, of course, are preliminary. You haven't put any sort of finishing touches. I think... The, the ownership projection is probably going to be too heavy for me to be happy with Poulter. I'm more than likely playing someone around that range, like a Francesco Molinari at 7,300. What, what are your takes there? Specifically with Poulter, I'm curious as the week goes on whether or not his project ownership projection will stay as high um, as it is now. I think, you know, there are a couple of things that I had taken into account. Uh, one is the sentiment around the industry. Another is just sort of the price point they fall at and the odds as well. And I, Poulter is definitely mispriced from an odds perspective and has been in good form both stateside as well as recently in the European tour events. And it's interesting because the past couple weeks, uh, there have been guys who have been sort of strokes game tableau darlings who have put up consistent performances for a couple weeks and felt overpriced to sort of who they are long-term as a golfer. Um, and, and Bryson DeChambeau is one of those guys. Xander Shopley was another one of those guys. And obviously those are two of our, our more recent event winners. And so that has me like a little, a little more hesitant on a full fade of, of Poulter. I definitely think there's a ton of options in this range though. And so I, I do think Kuchar is going to be one of the most popular players on the slate, but I like Molinari a lot. I like Charles Schwartzel a lot. And then even at the kind of higher end of the price point range, you have guys like Patrick Reed, Bernd Wiesberger. And I think there's plenty of different options to go if you're looking to get unique in this range. Yeah, Molly's another guy like Kucher, you know, accurate off the tee, not a great DK score. Hopefully the scoring environment mitigates that somewhat. Yeah, and I definitely agree with you there. And I think that um, it, it's interesting because if I was only building one lineup, I think Charles is very comparable. Charles Schwartzel is very comparable to Molinari and Kucher. And I think he's going to come in like a third 
of the ownership. And so like that's someone who I would rather play if I was making one lineup, but like if I'm, I'm probably going to enter a lineup in three maxes and I'll just like end up diversifying as I go down in stakes with these three guys. I mean, we also have a lot of good talent sub 7k. Obviously it's a major, this is what's going to happen. You're going to get the best golfers in the world. Uh, playing in, in one single event, you're going to get good sub 7k guys over on DraftKings. And that's what's happening. I mean, Kyle Stanley, uh, Mike is $6,600. Uh, Adam Hadwin, $6,800. Your boy. I'm sorry. I should have mentioned him first. Tony <laughs> Finau, $6,800. Like, I mean, Finau, long term, short term skills, whatever, whatever it is, whatever metric you're using for this season. Finau has been sensational. So $6,800 seems like a misprice. Mike, I, I know you're going to disagree with this price tag. Yeah, I don't know if I don't disagree with the price tag. Just if you look at where all the other guys are priced, I think it's appropriate. And you'll see that in the ownership. I don't even think he'll be that highly owned. I don't think he'll be like a one percenter by any means, but, uh, you know, five to ten percenter. Probably I'll be over owned on him just because I love Finau. I'm a little torn on it because it's another one of those guys, right? You take that driver off his hand off the tee and, you know, some of what he does well is dampened by the golf course. But at the same time, I do believe he's evolving into just a really, really strong all around player that can still be successful on a course like this. And it, is a good opportunity that if you're just a believer in him long term to get him at a low price tag without high ownership. And if he breaks out, puts it all together. I just feel like a, a bunch of weeks in a row, he's just been, you know, one round off or one aspect of his game off of just putting it all together. I'm sure lots of golfers feel that way. If you paid as close as attention to Finau as I do to other golfers, you would feel similarly about them, but I'll certainly own a lot in tournaments. I wouldn't go near him in cash games though, as much as I like him, it doesn't seem necessary. I know Drewby likes Snedeker down here at $6,800, who seems like a safer cash game play. I, I am interested. I'm just looking at Snedeker's off the tee and it's horrific, like four weeks in a row, which is kind of mind boggling to me for a player of, his skill level, uh, even though he does other things really, really well. I found that intriguing. And uh, uh, looking at other guys in this price range, uh, you've got Kisner at $6,700, Berger $6,700. I know there's some talk about the guys who played in the States last week not performing as well in the British Open systemically, but Berger at 6700 is someone to me him and Chapel in tournaments, those are two guys that have the upside to really place very highly. And I will have ownership to them in tournaments, both Berger and Chapel. Drewby, what are your thoughts on this range? Because obviously there's there's so much talent. Mike didn't even mention because I, I mentioned him first. Kyle Stanley at 6,600. I mean, Stanley's had a terrific season uh, as well. I, I mean, I, I think he's a good play at 6,600. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think if you are going to go down the route of Tita Green's game being the most important factor and not being worried about putting uh, because you think that people will be able to hit the greens and he could two-putt and make some one-putts, 
then I think you could play Stanley. I, I don't think that's the route I'm going. And so that leads me more to someone like Snedker. Uh, and it's a, a guy that we've seen win a uh, tournament in extreme weather conditions, uh, shot one of the best rounds of, of the season. Uh, at, and I'm leaning a little bit more towards the putters with this range. So mm-hmm. I think Snedker is my favorite play. I think RCB coming off the win last week is another guy who is is cheaper than he would have been had had DK not released the pricing early. And so you're definitely getting, you know, a five or $600 at a minimum ownership discount kind of on him. And so I, and he was striking the ball beautifully last week. Uh, it was nice to have coverage of, of a lot of that event, which we don't get for most of the European tour events. And then I might kind of mention some of the other names like Kisner Berger, definitely good plays. Um, I, I think it's interesting, you know, what, Notice, like, one of the things I feel like as we've been going through different ranges is, like, gravitating towards a lot of the names that we're comfortable playing because we play them a bunch of the PGA events. And it, it'll be interesting to try to see if that's how the public will also kind of handle things um, or whether or not they'll be kind of drawn more towards some of the misprices from an odds perspective because you do get a bunch of European tour players, obviously, in this field uh, who are more familiar with playing golf in, in these kind of conditions. One guy here we didn't talk about yet. I'm interested to get your thoughts on. I'll throw it to you, Pacheco, since Drew and I have talked about But Brian Harmon, Drew, mentioned guys that putt well. Harmon is a strong putter, good on approach shots. Uh, off the tee, if it's not mattering as much, he's someone that intrigues me as well in this price range. Yeah, I like Brian Harmon. At 6,600, um, I think that's what he is on DraftKings, right? I mean, that's that's a yeah. real that's a really cheap price tag uh, for a guy you mentioned can putt, can can approach uh, the green uh, well. Um, yeah, 6,600, I I can get behind that. I don't know from a cash game perspective. There's just so many names here that it's going to be tough for me to nail down like one specific guy, which is probably the most I'll have from this range in cash games, but Harmon could be one of those guys um, simply because of the price uh, and and the skill set that, that you mentioned there. I, I like him this week. Um, and Mike, the reason why I didn't mention Stenson earlier uh, as part of the DraftKings conversation is because I actually like his price better on FanDuel. He's just one of those guys where he's 8700 on that site. And now he's not, you know, more expensive that like like a Hideki. He's not more expensive than Ricky. Uh, as a matter of fact, he's nine hundred dollars cheaper than Ricky uh, over on FanDuel. So I, I personally like Stenson, who hasn't had the best of seasons this year. Um, I like him more over on FanDuel than I do on DraftKings. But basically, more of a price play for me. Um, is there? I know we haven't touched a lot of FanDuel golf, but is there anyone, maybe a couple of names that you guys can throw out there? Uh, if you've even looked at FanDuel golf so far that you think are good plays this week, it can be in any range and Drewby, I'll, I'll throw it to you if, if you've done that sort of research. Yeah. So from a FanDuel perspective, uh, one of the interesting things is that just the eight of eight format. And so I think one of the things you have to decide is if you're going to try to grab like a, a top guy, in which case you need to go down cheaper, or if you're going to try to build more balance. I think 
some guys are good plays on both sites. Like you mentioned, I think like Kucher is a fair price and a good play and someone who's a safe guy as part of an overall roster build on both sites. Um, whereas Phil is priced a little bit more at a premium on DraftKings than he is on FanDuel. Um, a couple guys that also stood out as being underpriced. So like Mark Leishman is a guy that I'm still considering playing on DraftKings uh, where he's kind of $500 more than Molinari, but on FanDuel, he's a hundred bucks cheaper. Um, and so, so that's another guy. And then I, I think because FanDuel doesn't use the odds to price in guys quite as much. And because this event is being held in Europe, obviously, I think you are getting a little bit of a price discount on some of the European tour players. Like, so like Bern Wiesberger is somebody who jumped out to me as being underpriced on as on DraftKings, I'm really intrigued in him, but he seems like he's priced appropriately on, on DraftKings. All right, Mike, do you have any last thoughts uh, for us? Because we're, we're about to wrap up. We're, we're actually a, a little bit late, but, I mean, it's it's the Open Championship. It's a major. We were going to run late anyways, but do you have any last thoughts for us heading into this week? I guess the, my biggest dilemma right now is, you know, for if you're playing single entry or three max is the game theory versus the better play dilemma and what to do there. I was talking with Drewby about that before the show. A few times I've done game theory this year. I haven't even been really happy with the ownership percentages at lock time. And if you're going game theory, you better be happy when those when lock hits because that's the whole reason you're playing those guys is because of ownership. So I think I'll go with better plays, but if I do get stretched into game theory, the guys that interest me a lot, Jason Day at 10K, Justin Thomas at 8,200, 8, uh, going Stenson. I don't think he'll be low-owned, but he'll be lower-owned than Hideki or Fowler. Uh, those are options where you could diversify. And then using those 6K guys we talked about not wanting to use a lot in cash games, if you use a couple of them in tournaments, though, you're going to get away from the chalkier low 7K guys in Kucha and Molinari. Drewby, any last thoughts for us before we, we wrap things up here? Yeah, the the first thing is I actually noticed an egregious FanDuel pricing error. Uh, Charles Howell is only 5200 over there, which Yikes. is priced just $100 above guys like David Drysdale and Chan Kim. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm very curious what Howell's ownership will be at 5200 on FanDuel and like, if you would want to, I don't know, if he's like 50, 60% owned or something and you want to fade just on that, that would be interesting. The other thing I would uh, say from my perspective is like the past couple tour events at the Greenbrier and the John Deere have been on easy courses with super wide fairways where a lot of the guys were hitting wedges into mm-hmm. greens. And so the approach shots that are coming in uh, in the viz there on Daily Roto are from shorter ranges. And that's one of the things I like best about some of the premium tools is the ability to kind of split and see strokes gained at different approach ranges. And it's, this is going to be a way different event, obviously, than the Greenbrier and the John Deere. And so I wouldn't weigh the, the recent form from those two events too heavy when you're trying to pick through some of the value golfers. Yeah. And, and Drewby, that, those events also featured probably the weakest fields we've seen all season. Uh, so, you know, now we head into this event, we have all this talent. We have the best talent in the world. Certainly a much different course. And, and my my last thought 
uh, for anyone that's listening is make sure you're looking at weather stuff. Uh, because it's going to play an effect this week one way or, or another. We know that for a fact. It's just that we're recording so early that we can't give you a, a, a definitive look into the weather uh, aspect of it. But just make sure you do because there's going to be some sort of, of weather effect this week. And, and you definitely want to catch that um, as, as a potential edge uh, for the for the Open Championship. But that's going to do it. Yeah, uh, go ahead, Mike. Well, on the, just on the weather note, right now it looks like it's going to, you know, be a factor. It looks like 15 to 20 miles per hour with some gusts getting up to 30. It's tough early, as you mentioned, Chris, to see if one wave's going to have an edge over the other. Right now it looks pretty balanced. Uh, maybe Friday early looks kind of rough relative to the other options. But one thing I'd say, if it ends up being so, somewhat balanced, still don't be afraid to stack wool waves and tournaments as part of your mass multi-entry the weather is tough to predict and if something goes differently than the forecast and one wave benefits by a stroke or two it could make a huge difference so in mass multi-entry if i'm doing 150 teams i'll still make sure to do at least like 20 weather full weather stacks of each wave so all close to about a third of my lineups will be weather stacks even if i don't see an edge now if i see a particular edge that's going to change and of course i'm going to be weighted a lot heavier towards which i Every wave has the edge. That's going to do it for this edition of the PGA Premium Podcast presented by Daily Roto. We want to thank you for listening and best of luck in all of your games. Got 